propaganda. First example of it I know of in history was in the Garden of Eden when Satan the snake looked over at Eve and said, did God say that if you eat the fruit of this tree that you'll die? <laughs> no, 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 no. God doesn't want you to eat the fruit of this tree because if you do that, you'll be like God. You'll take the place of God. Propaganda. An out and out lie. Propaganda can be a half lie, complete falsehood. It can just ask questions. In secular history, they say it was Alexander the Great who first used the art of propaganda in war. He'd send the word ahead to a town or a village or a country or a city and say, this is how Alexander operates. When he wins, he kills everybody. Surrender or everybody will die. If you're in that town or city or country, you'd think about that before you fought Alexander, wouldn't you? It was basically propaganda. Second World War, if you know the history. Axis Sally, telling what's happened in the European theater. Half-truths, total lies. Same way in the Pacific Theater. Tokyo Rose, talking to all the troops, telling them half-truths. Propaganda. And all through history and relationships, companies, corporations, businesses engage all the time in propaganda. Total lies, half-truths, partial lies. We're all familiar with that. A lot of commercials are Happen to be propaganda. Interesting, isn't it? In the area of marriage, there is a whole lot of propaganda. I remember before I was getting married, in a little alcove, I thought about, what if all I have heard about marriage is really true? Said, so if you like institutions, <laughs> you'll like marriage. That didn't particularly fire me up. And I'd heard so many stories about marriage and destruction and problem, and I said, man, Lord, what in the world am I getting into? And really, the truth is, I almost turned and ran. There's not a bride or a husband here, if you are not honest, that did not come into your mind because of the whole atmosphere of what in the culture we say happens to marriage. In the 1930s, 83% of all adults were married, 1930s. Today, 49% are married, and the number is increasingly going down and down and down with more people living together, cohabiting together, without married. A lot of people say, I don't want to get in this 50-50 proposition. 
50% of those who are married end up in divorce. 25% of those, when surveyed, said, I wouldn't marry him or her again. So you got 25% of marriages sort of fluctuating out there, never to ever land, hard to poll, hard to, hard to figure out. So we come to marriage, we've forgotten the purpose of marriage. If I ask you, what is the purpose of marriage? Would you stand, oh yeah, I'll be happy to tell you. God tells us exactly what the purpose of marriage is. It is first of all for procreation, that a man and his wife procreate with God and brings life into being, and that life is in the image of Almighty God himself, procreation. Marriage is for pleasure. Read Song of Solomon sometime in a modern translation, and hold on, you have just read some of the most erotic material that you'll find anywhere on the planet. Just try it, test it out. It is for pleasure. Also, marriage is for proclamation. Marriage is used by God when it is a covenant marriage to tell the truth about God, about life, and about life abundant and life full and life meaningful and life alive. Marriage is given to us by God. He performed the first ceremony. Remember, leave, cleave, one flesh, no shame. And it is to glorify God. A covenant marriage is a beautiful thing. It is an attractive thing. It tells us the truth of what anybody can have in their relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is a new covenant if it is a covenant marriage. So we see the high, high holy place that God has put marriage from the very beginning. Today, we look around our culture and all, well, what's happening? We can diagnose what's happening in a million different perspectives, but I can tell you the basic foundation of marriage is being attacked in every single area, and that is the basic problem that we have. A lot of problems move from that. Sexual dysphoria, on and on we could go. We've dealt with those, and we'll continue to do that. But marriage is the base, and marriage is being destroyed, attacked, minimized, not practiced in the culture of the 21st century. But when it is, it's a powerful witness for God. So there's a lot of propaganda about marriage. There are a lot of things about marriage that we sort of accept that are simply lies. Let's just bump into a couple of them. <laughs> All you need is love. Heard that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, you need is love. And usually when it's defined in a human way, it means really all you need is love in chemistry. Where do we get that? All we need is love. 1967. John Lennon. It, he presented that song that he had written in the biggest international telecast live the world had ever known to that point. 24 different countries viewed in onto this 
presentation called One World. It lasts for two hours. And in that, John Lennon introduced you only need love. I only need love. You only need love. Now, the truth is that whole thing of live presentation to an audience of 24 countries, 700 million, by the way, watched. The whole thing was a fraud. First of all, it wasn't live. Guy playing the guitar was stringing air. Lennon messed up in the words of their own song he'd written. They had to stop it and replay it and play time zone to get it right. Most of the accompaniment that took place was canned. So far as it being live, those who watched couldn't tell, but it was anything but live. It was staged, it was programmed, and that song, oh, all you need is love. Begin to define love in the United States and many people around the world. It's a lie, ladies and gentlemen. It is a lie. Lennon's son, said rather recently, Julian, he said, when my dad was telling all the world about love, let me tell you about him. He was having an openly adulterous affair, and he said, I was five years old with my mother, and he had examined me, he had, he had drawn away from us, thrown us away, thrown me away as his son, thrown his wife away as his wife, and said, here he was talking about love, 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 all you need is love. And said he was a hypocrite and a phony from the beginning to the end. He said the one he most should have loved would have been his son, his wife, and he went in the direct opposite direction. You remember, if you know your history, if you know your history, that followed the summer of love in San Francisco, and young people went soaring to San Francisco Man, all you need is love and love and peace. I have read an analysis of those who went and participated in that by the hundreds, and you have never read hardly a more tragic story in your life. Rape, sexually transmitted diseases, pregnancies, unwanted pregnancy, absolute brutality all across the board, violence, all the time saying, all you need is love. Tell you something, in marriage, you hear that, well, you know, we love each other. That's going to get through everything. Most of the time, love is not defined with biblical terminology because the only way we can love one another properly and permanently and beautifully and even apply the principles of 1 Corinthians, let me read it again, and define for everybody, in case you might have missed it, love. You say, I can't love like that. No, you can't, but God in Christ in a covenant marriage, you can, and I can. Look at the definition of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. 
It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always preserves. Love never fails. You said, I can't love like that. You can't, but God in Christ in you gives us the ability to do it. Love. All you need is love. If you think that's true in marriage, I want to tell you, that is a cultural lie. The next thing is the cultural lie about marriage is, well, you know, you just have to accept me. You married me and I can't change. This is the way I am. Anybody ever said that? Don't want to show of hands. It's a lie. The only thing that can really change in this world is a human being, and God in Christ has the power to do that. The idea, well, you know, I'm just not very affectionate. I'd like to stand up and take some guys here who have said that and say, how dumb can a human being be and still live on this earth? Affection is available. It's there. We have the capacity to do it, to live it out, to fulfill it. It is a beautiful thing. It is needed in marriage. Now, a few weeks, by the way, if you're not mad and I get through today, I'm going to talk about the role of a husband in marriage biblically and a role of a wife in marriage biblically. So you better find a reason not to be here because I'm going to tell every husband here, every wife here, exactly your role. And when those roles are lived out, guess what? Your marriage will sizzle. It's up to you. And we can hide about the fact, well, you know, I just, I just can't change. Certainly, we marry one another with warts and all, but with love, and with a wife fulfilling her primary role, primarily to summarize it in practical terms, wives, you are to be a cheerleader, remember, for your husband. Cheerleader. Husbands, you are to be something else with your wife. You are to cherish her. Well, I'm not good at cherishing. God will give you the ability. I'm not good at cheering. God will give you the ability. And we'll nail this down in clear, practical ways. So understand that God can change us. Marriage is a wonderful institution of change for all who engage in it in a biblical understanding. In a biblical understanding. Boy, how a lot of husband and wives need to change. I, I bumped in to a Situation, uh, um, a little excerpt from a courtroom scene in New Jersey in which the husband had been engaged in a traffic violation. His wife was there with him in the courtroom with the judge. I want you to listen to this. This is my wonderful husband. Oh. I got the ticket. He was driving my car. Oh. I'm not guilty. Oh. He is. So you came here today to tell me he's guilty. <laughs> I'm not guilty. The ticket's in my name. No, I'm I know. not guilty. No, no, I understand that. <clears throat> I said, you came here today to tell me he's guilty. So the first thing you did was throw him under the bus. <laughs> I'm not throwing myself under. <laughs> <laughs> so you think he's really guilty, huh? 
When I looked at that video, if I was a policeman, I would say he was guilty. Guilty. You go through this every day? Yes, Your Honor. <laughs> We've been happily married for 43 years, right? Yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> All you need is love. <laughs> you can't, <laughs> yes, dear. You can't change. Marriage is a place where God does magnificent things in the whole area of change and rehabilitation in all of our lives. And the next thing there's a lie about marriage is our problem is incompatibility. He doesn't have enough income and I don't have enough compatibility. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. You can have all the income in the world. Boy, if we had more, we'd be happy. You can have all the kids in the world. Boy, if we had more kids, we'd be happy. Now, those are two vitally important ingredients, but that will not answer and make a marriage in the design that God intended for it to be. I can give you a lot of illustrations and call some names that you would even know, but I'm going to protect those names and protect the world to show you how, if you have all the chemistry and all the world can offer, and you could put modern names in here, almost every one of us, and some of us may have to put our name in here. Let me show you about Solomon. Solomon had it all. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. By the way, you remember the word book of Ecclesiastes? It's the first book you ought to read in the Bible because it asks all the questions that the rest of the Bible answers. Remember that. And Solomon in Ecclesiastes is writing, he said, I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said. Laughter. Oh, man, it's madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was good for people to do under the heavens in the days of our lives. Solomon said, I took great projects. I built houses for myself, planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water grow, flourishing trees. I brought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem. Before me, I amassed silver and gold for myself and a treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and I had a whole harem, a whole harem, just countless numbers of females all to my exposure. The delights of a man's heart. He said, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all of this, my wisdom stayed with me. He said, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all labor, and this was reward for all my toil. You talk somebody that had plenty of income and plenty of compatibility, you can't get ahead of Solomon. And then look what he says about it. 
Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. God could nail that down in your life and in my life, there would be a great awakening. A lot of things we believe in our culture about marriage is simply not true. Oh, if there was more income and more patability, my marriage would sing, no. Oh, well, I can tell you if if I, let, let me just be the way I am. I can't help it. No. So all these lies accumulate in marriage. What is the secret, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters of marriage? We go right back to the beginning and that it is a covenant. It's not a contract. Oh, it's a social contract by law, but it is a covenant. A contract works something like this. You want something, you put earnest money up for it just in case you want to back out. You know, that's all you would lose. And then in the process, it doesn't work out. In the negotiation with the buyer and the seller, it doesn't work out, and you can back up and not lose a lot. A covenant is totally totally, completely different. It is a legal contract, but it is, remember, a triangle, God, husband, wife, and the top of the triangle is God, which makes it not a duet, but a trio. And therefore, when we, you say, I do and I will, in sickness as in health, in poverty as in wealth, in the bad may darken your days and the good that may light your ways. Till death do you part, do you so promise? And the answer is, naively sometimes, I do, I will. Now let me put a little codicil down here. I know the biblical grounds for divorce, adultery, desertion, interpretation there. But basically, we have to realize when we say, I do, I will, that is for life. It's a covenant. And in a covenant marriage, fabulous things take place. A covenant marriage has a light coming from it. You know, you know people that have a light coming from it? It's, it's just a, a joy, a light. It is contagious. And if you don't have it, you're envious of it, and that light should never go out. It should go brighter and brighter through the years. A covenant marriage. Covenant marriage. But also, but to be honest, there is much that is good about marriage. There's much that is beautiful about marriage, and we really don't understand that. What all marriage does for us. What's involved in marriage? Well, let's just see what marriage does. First of all, marriage, if it is a covenant marriage, it makes you and makes me look at ourselves. How about that one? You have to look at yourself. I asked myself this question a long time ago. I challenge every husband and wife to ask themselves this. 
When I asked myself this question, honestly, alone, I had to get out of a legal pad. What is it like being married to me? I had a long list there, and it wasn't any da 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 It was, woo I challenge you to do it. Before God, look in the mirror. Look at yourself. What is it like being married to me? Is it exciting? Is it boring? Is it uplifting? Is it fun? Is it creative? Well, we've been married a long time. All the better you've had more time to have a marriage that's on fire for God and fire for Christ. What is it like being married to me? What is it like being married to you? If a lot of husbands' wives would just write down and take a time and ask God to lead them, if you have a covenant marriage, two Christians coming together, you'd say, Lord, I need to change some things. I need to wake up, get with it, enjoy the fullness and the beauty of a covenant marriage. What's it like being married to me? A marriage forces you and forces me to look in the mirror, and sometimes when we see ourselves, we are ashamed, I hope, and we are frightened. We're just like this bear that was caught looking in the mirror. This is how we probably would respond. (laughs) What's it like being married to me? Marriage almost forces us to look in the mirror. And something else, when you look at your wife, your husband, they are a mirror. Oh, oh, really? Yes. Yes. Your husband is a mirror, ladies. Your wife is a mirror, gentlemen. And we look in the mirror. We may be afraid. We may be fearful. If you get honest, that's what your life being married to me. We may be ashamed. That's all part of it. But also, we look into the mirror as we see our wife. And my wife demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, good. Man, I said, oh, gosh, I, I don't have all that. I need that. I need that. Uh, a couple got in the car and went through the car wash. And when they came out on the other side, they were seated there, and, and, and the man looked at the windshield and called the attendants over and said, the windshield is still dirty. He comes over and takes his cloth, sprays it, back, and then he backs up and he says, the windshield is still dirty. He gets out and he goes out and he begins to shine it again outside, put polish on it. He said, I think I'm going to go in and tell his boss. I mean, can you believe that? This windshield is still just as dirty as it can be. And his wife reached over, true story, took off his glasses, got some tissue and cleaned them, and put them back on, and the windshield was spotless. If you're married, 
Look in the mirror. What's it like being married to me? If you are married, your wife or your husband will help you and help me to see in a way that we've never, never seen before. This is the truth about marriage. The second thing, and there's a whole lot of things that's true about marriage, marriage will drive you to humility. Yeah. It'll drive you to humility. Somebody asked a biblical mystic, said, what is the leading characteristic of Jesus? And he said, humility. He said, oh, no, 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 no. God is love. Jesus is love. The leading characteristic is love. No, Jesus is love, a characteristic of love, and I think the primary characteristic of love is humility. You look at Jesus' life, and he had a way of exposing all those narcissistic people. Now, let's be honest. All of us have enough narcissism in every one of us. Don't get super pious. We all have it. How did Jesus deal with the narcissists? There was the Pharisees. They kept all 600 laws, the Torah, the Mishnah, the Talmud. And Jesus just attacked them for their phoniness. They had a lot on the outside, but their inside was corrupt. And Jesus was around them in which all they did was pick up stones. Jesus healed the man with the withered hand. It was on the Sabbath. And they didn't rejoice over the man with the withered hand. Now had a full hand. They criticized Jesus. Oh, he healed on the Sabbath. You know, narcissistic people, legalistic people. Though they were looked up, they had fewer people in the Sanhedrin than any other single group, but they were looked up to because they were so perfect and they radiated their perfection. They were picking up stones. Jesus took the woman caught in the act of adultery. One rumor, witnesses in the act of adultery. They said the law says to stone her, and those Pharisees started to pick up their stones. Seen these narcissistic people always are picking up stones. Have you noticed that? Jesus dealt with them, called them liars, hypocrites, uh, dirty mind. I mean, he just ripped them apart. And therefore, we have to understand that we too, when exposed to the light of God, seen usually in our mate, our husband, or our wife. My, 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 it is a great moment of humility. If your marriage hasn't driven you to humility, awaken, awaken a covenant marriage that is always what will take place. You see, we have such a high privilege in life that it's just hard to believe, it's hard to accept. I want you to listen very, very, very carefully. This is Jesus, John 17, his high priestly prayer before he went to the cross. In other words, his last will and testament before he went to the cross. And look what he said about relationships. He said, my prayer is not for them alone. That's his apostles. 
I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. That's all of us. Jesus, before he died, prayed for you. He prayed for me. He said, I pray for all of those who believe that they can know God, love God, receive God, live for God, a joyous, abundant, full life. And by the way, we're made for pleasure, and it always is pleasurable when we're following God in Christ. He says, I pray for those who believe in me through, the, through their message. In other words, we have heard the message of truth. Verse 21, John 17, that all of them may be one, follow me. By the way, you get married, two worlds converge. No, 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 no. When you get married, your world goes away. Your mate's world goes away. And you build one new world together. See, that's the difference. Anyway, footnote. Father, just as you are in me, Jesus saying, just as you are in me, God is in Jesus. Jesus says, I am in you. And may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you get that? This is a holy dance. Jesus is saying, I am in you, God. And God, you are in me, and those who receive me will be in the dance with us. Now, that is so fabulous, it's hard to communicate and to understand. Just think about it. As you're in Christ, as I'm in Christ, Christ is in me, and I am in Christ. It's true of all who receive Christ, and we're all in God the Father. We're a part of and will be a part of a heavenly dance that is taking place at all times and all places. And I'll tell you, we'll all learn how to dance a triumphant dance. Let me show you, illustrate it as best I can. It's so hard to illustrate. Here's God with me. All right. Choir. In God is Jesus. That's what we just read about, wasn't it? God, in God is Jesus. You with me? Not too fast. Very beautiful, very important. And in Jesus is, put my name here, Edwin, Ed. Here's God, Jesus in God, and I am in God and in Jesus, and so are you if you are in Christ. You're a part of that divine dance. Now, you say, well, what if you get out of step? And we all do. When we're dancing, we get out of step, we mess up. What keeps us in step? Where's the music coming from in your life and in my life as we have this divine dance? It's coming from the Holy Spirit. What a dance. Man, what a dance. God Jesus in God, Jesus in you, Jesus in me. I'm in God, you're in God, we're in Jesus. And then to keep us in step, we have the Holy Spirit who is the music and lets our lives function as God designed them to function. Let me tell you something. If that's not the most exciting, amazing, miraculous truth that you've ever heard, find something better. That is the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Magnificent, holy, 
special. And as we begin to live out the basic truths of a covenant relationship with our wife, with our husband, it is, I think, the most beautiful, glorious, supernatural, magnificent, holy, happiest relationship in the human realm that God has to offer all of us.